Welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John, and with me is a very, very, very special guest. He originated the roles of Bill Devaney in The Bodyguard, Pork in Gone with the Wind, and Rusty in Starlight Express in the London productions. And he's also starred as Shake in today's movie. It's Rachel, everybody. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I can't believe, I can't believe I have you here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we are talking about The Apple, which came out in 1980. Screenplay by Menahem Golan. uh, Story by Kobe Reicht and Iris Reicht. Music by Kobe Reicht. Lyrics by Iris Reicht and George Clinton. Directed by Menahem Golan. And according to IMDb, In 1994, a couple enters the world of the music industry and subsequently the world of drugs. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So you played Shake in this movie. How would you describe him? Shake is, I I guess the best way to to explain him, he's like, uh, what was vice president? What was our last vice president? What was his name? I I can't think of it right now. Trump's vice president. What was that man's name? Oh, I can't think of it right now. I kind of blocked it out of my memory. I shouldn't know his name. I've tried. Pence. Anyway, Pence. Pence. <laughs> Shake was Pence to Vladik Shabel, who played Mr. Boogaloo. He was his first ascendant, uh, assistant who would do anything that the, Mr. Mr. Boogaloo wanted him to do, anything, murder, poison, seduce. He was his right-hand thug. Play the red and, uh, tape, make sure that yeah, yeah. Bim is a thing. <laughs> Rick stuff, Rick stuff off. And his alter ego, if if Shake was the devil, if Mr. Boogaloo was the devil, then Shake was the snake. In fact, we had a like a we had a like a little visual thing where I had to get into this makeup that uh, took five hours to do for like a 30 second boom. Um, so I was his right hand man. I was the henchman. You're in I, it a couple of times if you think about it, because you've got that whole Apple number, and then at the end, there's like a quick flash of you yeah. in that snake costume. Well, there was a there was a there was a musical number called Slip and Slide, where I had to do a dance around Eve to tempt her with the apple. But I am not a dancer, and it looked awful. I saw a little bit of it, and it was cut. Rightly so, it was embarrassing. I was that I was that bad. <laughs> but they didn't wow. hire me because I was a dancer. So that's where the makeup and all that kind of stuff that look came from because it is this Garden of Eden sequence that you know that um that I had the dancers number in. But it was it was a, it was an interesting interesting experience. In fact, I actually spoke to Mary Catherine Stewart uh, last week, the lady that played BB, and we had a good laugh. We hadn't really talked in years, and uh, we had a great chat. We must have talked for about a couple of hours. Oh, that's so nice. Do you talk with anyone else from the film as as well, or? Um, Femi Taylor, uh, <clears throat> Femi Taylor, who was in the original company of West End Company of Cats. That's oh, that's about all. I don't know where a lot of the people are. I really don't know. Oh, there, there's. Uh, I haven't talked to him in, 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 in a long in a while. But I talked to a lot of the dancers. Um, 
uh, not a lot of the dancers, but a few of the dancers that are still around and still in my little circle. But it was a, it was a, it was a mind bending experience to say the least. Yeah. And now, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I was going to ask you, like, what was your experience on the film? Because I saw that it, I read that it um, felt like you guys were filming it for like two or three months. Yeah. In Germany, of all places. Yep. In Berlin. In Berlin, Germany. It was great. We um. We started filming, interestingly enough, we started filming around my birthday because um, I always try to attach mystical things to me because I'm a mystical person, I, I think. And because I also, like everybody else, I think that I am the second coming and stuff like that, like we all do. In any case, my birthday is September 22nd and it fell on Jewish Passover. And I'll never forget Menachem Golan had a, uh, a Passover feast for the entire company because it was the Israeli crew. So they had celebrated um, Passover. I think it was I think it was Passover it, 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 uh, around my birthday, and so I was the guest of honor, which was really really lovely of him. So um, it, it, we started off this candlelit ceremony, uh, dinner. So all those different kind of kind of things, and I think that what he wanted to do with the apple was basically tell his version of the creation story and tell his version of, of the, the, the beginnings of good and evil. And also as a parable and a warning to what it's really weird, what's happening now. So that the, the great thing about the apple for me was that it was my first major film. And uh, I, I got to learn um, about waiting and waiting around for shots and stuff like that. Um, I got to uh, just watch, I, I like watching, I mean, I. I learned from watching other people. Um, and I've been blessed to watch some of the best people in the world, Lloyd Webber and Trevor Nunn and all kinds of people. So that's how I learned through watching. So I, I learned a lot just being on set. Sometimes when I didn't even have to be there, I would just sit there and stand behind the camera and see how the director of photography lined up shots and see how David, um, David actually, why he had to tape, you know, use a tape from the camera to let's say an actor's first mark. So he could actually get those cameras uh, into uh, to balance them and to get them and get them into focus. So for me, it was a learning experience. You know, um, I think the only thing that I didn't do, which I should have done, was when when the film opened. I should have been in L.A. because I would have had a totally different career. But I was like, ah, there'll be tons and tons of more movies. I don't have to do that. I had just gotten married. I just had a baby. Well, I didn't have a baby. My wife had a baby. Yeah. And um. Um, I had to come to, back to the States to, um, to meet my family, my new family. While filming, though, was it clear what the story was? Yeah, the story was very clear. I mean, what, what wasn't clear is that on these things, sometimes you do things or you film things. And for some reason, it doesn't work. So the script changed from the original script. Uh, it changed, let's say, on a daily basis. But that's not unusual. That happens on every film that happens, most films, because uh, the lighting might not work, or that he can't get this shot, or we we missed the deadline for something else. So you have to do something else. Right, because I, I read about the prologue that was supposed to happen that, like, would have helped the final product, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, because the, the, the thing, the, the first thing that we shot was the very end of the, of the movie, uh, the, uh, when, when, all the, when all the hippies was, was, were out inside the, uh, the, the, the forest and stuff like that. And that we had to do that because we shot in September. And if we waited another month, there wouldn't be no leaves on the trees. And it's weird because the same thing happened in um, the Billie Holiday movie. The first thing we shot 
was the us out in the field playing basketball, uh, not basketball, baseball. That was uh, our first shot, Billy, you know, us, this baseball team. And then we shot that in September as well. It's weird. Both those films, which I started in September, they ended in December. So I guess that's my movie time, September to December. Are and, you um, that Hollywood? <laughs> yeah, basically because, you know, because of the weather. And I tend to think that if we would have had more time, they probably could have came up with a better ending than they did. But um, uh, because because we had to get it before the leaves disappeared and before it didn't, it was supposed to be the middle of summer. It was a rush job. I mean, the ending made sense. It's just that without the beginning where they were going to have Mr. Tops, obviously, like you get that he's God at the end, but like he's creating Alfie and other things. Like I read, that's that's what I read about. And there's going to be all these animals and this big coil. Yeah. Exactly. Five. That was part. That was part of the. Um, that was. I might be responsible for that. Well, that was part of the scene that they cut. You maybe. <laughs> how, how how? Come on. <laughs> there was a there's a there was a man called Peter Newton who was a fabulous fabulous dancer. Peter Newton um, starred in Five Guys Named Mo. Peter Newton was supposed to play Shake. He, he was supposed to, but me being me, they told me to go home four times and. I was not going home. I had just had, to, I need this job, baby. I had the, you know, it was like chorus line all over for me. I had to have that job, not simply because it was a movie and not simply because um, it, it was Menahem Golan, but because it was a job. I right. just had a baby. I just got married and I was not, I, there was no way, no way I was not going to get something in that job. So I said, look, they told me, I said, no, I can't go home. You, got, you ain't heard me sing yet. You ain't heard me sing. When he said, okay, sing. So I went and, uh, I was playing a snake, so I crawled all in, all around his feet. I crawled into his lap. I ended the song in his lap, you know, and he gave me the job. <laughs> so never take no for an answer. Never take no. So because he hired me and not Peter Newton, and he was going to hire Peter. Newton already was supposed to have the job because he needed a dancer to do that 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 uh, slip and slide number. Uh... And because I couldn't really, really dance, <laughs> that whole section got cut and I um I tend to think that had that number been in there it would have actually um uh acted as a springboard for the introduction of Mr. Thompson and what this whole uh, the synergy between whether um between um the Garden of Eden and uh Shake and and Mr. Boogaloo and Mr. Thompson it would it would have been, it would have been but it's my fault I raised my hand <laughs> but hey you got the job and made infamy in this movie yeah i mean it's the movie that won't die i mean it's like i it's like <laughs> when the reviews came out and people were saying things like it's the worst film ever made i mean um you know you, you tend to go okay and you walk away in fact um uh our choreographer whose name i can i never can remember he shoot me what's nigel his name uh, nigel like Lithgow. Lithgow. um mr american idol himself Nigel, he won't even talk about it now. He won't even admit that he actually choreographed the thing. But um, uh, I tend to think that in time to come, uh, and which is happening now, it's finding fans like the Rocky Horror Show. It's become like a whole cult thing. And uh, because it's, I, I saw it, I started to get a couple of a couple of months ago. It ain't that bad. You need a little bit of medicinal things to open your mind and just get you in the mood. <laughs> <laughs> I watched I watched it sober for this and I was just like what is going on? I know. I know. Cuz you hard cut start at a at a uh 
Eurovision Song Contest like thing, yeah. and you're like, what is going on? <laughs> I'm already confused. <laughs> and we and and what's so interesting? We shot it in Berlin, uh, right before the the the, um, the East Wall came down. The wall to the east came down, and I remember I went I went there and was uh, uh, I was gonna I wanted to go into the east, but then I realized, well, wow, this is this was 1978. I'm a black American. You know what I'm saying? I ain't know nobody in the east, and I was and I couldn't see no black people through the wall. You know, I couldn't see any. I said, I am not gonna go over here and get myself arrested and deported back to America and not be able to do this movie. So I didn't go. But I was oh. over there in a very, very interesting his historical time. And with Berlin getting so smashed in the war, the United States bombed the hell out of, can I, am I allowed to curse? You can say whatever the fuck you they want. They bombed the fuck out of Berlin and they had to rebuild it. They've actually, they actually rebuilt it into this futuristic city, as you can see with the monorails and the different, different kinds of buildings. Um, city, it, it looks in a way that I still haven't seen uh, a lot of a lot of cities in the United States look so it gave it this very, this very um, uh, modern kind of setting. So it looked very futuristic, even though it was 1978 when we actually filmed it. Yeah, and they used those. Were they stickers for the BIM marks? The BIM marks, yeah. That's supposed to be the mark of the beast. Oh, that makes sense now. Yeah, the mark of the beast. I was expecting some sort of like mind control or something or like yeah and it was you know, they're, they're able to true. like set you on yep. fire or something like that yeah that that's why they had the bim hour hey 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 bim is on the way <laughs> oh my god the bim hour uh, <laughs> there are some gems in this movie that when you watch it but uh, the whole thing i just i just sat there was like what is this <laughs> <laughs> what okay so you wore a lot of like crazy shit in this movie i'm not gonna lie what was <laughs> on your teeth <laughs> it's interesting i think that shake actually started a whole thing because if you notice it, it's grilled it's grills mines were like diamonds and rubies and stuff but look at all these rappers now they got that you know grills all over the place oh. i do believe that I was the first to have those grills. Those are my those are my diamonds. Those are my jewels. I had jewel teeth, <laughs> and now um, it's it's you know it's, it's part of a rapper's uh, cosmetic makeup now to have you know gold and all that kind of stuff in their mouth. I was the first. <laughs> I I saw a lot of uh, Ruby Rod from The Fifth Element. You know Chris Tucker's character. Yeah, a lot yeah. of him. Yeah, I I believe that Chris Tucker saw saw it at Apple. <laughs> <laughs> and he like channeled that. me. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love the fifth element. I love Chris Tucker. You know, um, it, it's interesting because I, I, I do believe that if I had gone to Hollywood when the film came out, I would have um, been part of that, uh, I call it the, that new black renaissance with Spike Lee and, and uh, um, those kind of filmmakers because I'm from Brooklyn. But I missed out all of that. I missed all of that because I was in, in London doing what I was doing. And being back here in the United States, I, it's like now kickstarting the, the American career. I just the, when the pandemic hit, I was in San Francisco doing a sh uh, the, the, the West Coast premiere of a show, a Broadway show called um, 
Tony Stone about the first black female baseball player. And then after that, we were meant to go to the, to, uh, the arena stage in DC. And then I was meant to do, stay at the, at the arena stage to do an August Wilson play, which I still might do. Oh, wow. But it's amazing how life can just, you make, you take, you, you don't do one thing and it just influences everything that you, you know, that you do later on. But if I had gone to Hollywood, I would have never met the starlight. And I'm glad I met the starlight. So you were saying earlier that you like just had a conversation with Catherine Mary Stewart. Um, yeah, you just BB. Talked to her. How does she feel about being the only one that was dubbed in like singing wise in the movie? Oh, I mean, Mary, she didn't mind that. I mean, yeah. like it's a great one thing. The wonderful thing about Mary, she's a realist, and she and she joined. You know, I look at it this way: they did they dubbed. Almost everybody, I mean, and not not in the Apple, but um, uh, what's her name who played Maria in um West Side Story? She oh was, yeah, uh, yeah yeah you know My Fair Lady, Kath, uh, what's her name? Um, mine, um, whatever her name is, famous actress, whatever Natalie her name Wood. is, Natalie, Natalie. She was dubbed, so it, it's no big deal. It's no big deal, you know. Okay. Um, it, it, in certain ways, it, it it takes the pressure off a, off, a, off an actress. Because you have to act these things as well as sing them, you know, and it takes the pressure off. So she didn't, she didn't mind it. So then did you want to be dubbed? <laughs> did I want to be? No, because I was also at the same time, I at the same time, you know, I, I wanted to get myself a record deal at the same time, which I eventually did. But I mean, it, it, it's like, you never know you're making history while you're making it, first of all. You don't know what these things are going to turn into. And in fact, when, when um, the, after, the, after the, the Apple came out, it was like, Okay, I've done that. Next. I had no idea that 40 years later <laughs> that I'd be sitting here talking to, to yourself and a few other people that I've been talking to this summer about this film. And um, uh, I, I do believe that, that um, we're probably in a state in our, in our world history that we need <laughs> mind-boggling things that take us our minds away from the mind-boggling things that are happening in reality. It's true. I feel like people are watching everything on all the streaming services that they're now digging into like the trenches where hidden gems like the apple live <laughs> so that's why it's yeah. having a resurgence <laughs> if you will yeah and, and it, it's like you need some respite like i said I, I was before before i started talking to you i was sitting here watching cnn shaking my head going oh no 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 oh no Liz Cheney, oh no so you need you need to, you need to get away um, you know, like uh, in the next two years, I'm going to buy myself a satellite and an island. And I'm leaving the United States, baby. I'm taking 144,000 people with me. So anybody out there that want to go with Rachel to this nice little Caribbean island near Belize, we're going to, all we need is a satellite. No automobiles will be banned. It'll be horse and buggy time. Or, and we won't need money. All we need is land to grow our food and some good um, vegetables and uh, herbal essences. Let's put it that way. So you're creating your own BIM Island, are you? Sorry? Are you creating your own BIM Island here? <laughs> where you'll have BIM Hour and... <laughs> no, we'll have, uh, we'll, we'll have um, what I'll call, we'll, we'll have um, Loud Hour. <laughs> loud Hour. <laughs> um, loud being a strain of, um, how can I put this, herbal essences. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes <laughs> movie was featured on another podcast a few years ago called how did this get made 
um, <laughs> episode 129, that. where they watch certain type of movies. I won't say what they are, but uh, they're wild movies. Like, this is a wild movie. And um, one of the one of the hosts on it actually said that this movie makes Starlight Express look like Hamilton. <laughs> Which I, I was just like, I have to share this with Ray since he was in Starlight Express. Well, the thing about it is, it's like, how can I put it? People, us artists and people who like art and sometimes people who cannot create art and do not create art, they take themselves so seriously, you know? So everybody wants to be Olivier, everybody wants to be Shakespeare. And what they don't even realize that Shakespeare didn't even, didn't even intend for his plays to be taken as seriously as, as they were taken because they were, they were out, they were, they were there for the entertainment of the people. You know, it was, if you had a choice between bear baiting and watching a Shakespearean play, then that Shakespeare play better be good enough to keep some people from watching the bear baiting or the beheadings or the donkeys, you see what I'm saying? So it's a lot, we become so serious. And I look at this way, I've seen Hamilton a few times and it's a wonderful, wonderful piece of work, but child, but they don't do it on roller skates like we had to. <laughs> and not eight times a week. Like they had, they had a revolving stage. All they had to do was get on that shit and that shit spun them where they had to go. We had to skate to that girl. <laughs> <laughs> now you only did the London production of... Um... Yeah, yeah, I remember when that was happening and I was very disappointed because I wanted to go to Broadway. But um, because of America, I mean, because of America and the way it was explained to me, Broadway is a very, very, at that time, Broadway isn't the same Broadway that we have now. Broadway is a lot more diverse now, a lot more diverse. And if I had went to Broadway, Reva Rice, who is absolutely amazing as Pearl, she was black. She would have been in the show. Lon Satin, Papa would have been. And what it would have given, it would have, given, it would have, it would have been a very, very, racial divide you would have had a black rusty a black pearl a black papa racing against the white <laughs> greaseball and all those connotations you know they didn't think it would have worked i think it would i think we would have still been running if they had done it the way they did it in london because the starlight the broadway version of starlight only i don't even think it lasted a year no it and didn't. And when we closed in, in uh, London, we didn't even, we still had a million dollar, a million pound advance. The only reason why Lloyd Webber closed it because he wanted, to, he, want, he, want, he, he wanted to put in Bombay Dreams, which flopped all over the place. And uh, the Bokum production is, is uh, still, still running. I mean, the simplicity of, of, of Starlight made it, 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 I think what Andrew was able to channel into what I call the Disney effect. Children are born every single second and what he created was something that families could go to, families, could, kids could understand. It was an entertainment. In fact, he wrote it for his kids. He wrote it for, for um, his two children, Imogene, and I can't think of his son's name, but he wrote it for them. And I think the publicity, the, the simplicity and the magic of it and the spectacle of it, there's still nothing on stage that, that had the spectacle of, uh, of, of, of a Starlet Express. I mean, not even Lion King, you know, not, I was Mufaso. Quiet Simba, sit by me. I did that one too. <laughs> you know, so, so I mean, like, Starlight, you had to be bionic to be in that show, baby. I, I, I mean, it's like I would, I, I would go back and I'd sit there and say, how the fuck can I do that? How 
because it was, it was a very, 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 very dangerous show. Dangerous. I hit this little finger on one of the girders passing by, and I had to have electrolysis to get this girl to work again. That's how, and that was just my finger. Can you imagine if I hit my head? My goodness gracious. So you went from film, like wrapping up the apple to starting Starlight. Well, there was a few years in between that. <laughs> I went from uh, from from uh, the Apple, and then I went back to to the States. And in fact, I, I thought that that was my I was done with the, the United Kingdom. Um, I went to the States and uh, met a young man called Mark Shaman, and Mark Shaman went on to write uh, Hairspray. Little known person, <laughs> you know. And his first show was a show called. Uh, Dementos, which was written by him and the one of the original cast members of Hair, wonderful man called Robert I. Rubinsky. And in that show, I met Loretta Devine, who's doing all kinds of wonderful stuff now. Have you seen P-Valley? I have not. You got to see P-Valley. It's short for Pussy Valley. Watch P-Valley. She is phenomenal. I met a whole bunch of people in that. And, uh, but, we, and, and but we never got to, we, we opened we, we got through previews, but it never opened on Broadway. Mm. So in any case, I met him. Um, I came and uh, I, I met a record producer that brought me back to the UK, brought me back to the UK. And from them, I, I, I had a band called Rachel and the Street Angels. Um, I was listening last night to a, another pop band that I was singing for um, a group called Art School and the Mighty Motor Gang. I taught at Pineapple. In fact, I was teaching at Pineapple Studios in, in Covent Garden, uh, teaching singing and acting to dancers. Um, who wanted to know how to sing and act. And one of my students, were, I had people like, um, I don't know if you know of a group called uh, 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 Fluetry, Marsha Ambrosius. She wrote Michael Jackson's uh, Butterflies. Those are my students. Sia is one of my students. Uh, uh, Karen Wheeler, who was a lead singer for Soul to Soul. That's one of my students. Uh, uh, there's a young, so I, I got into that whole teaching thing. In fact, I wasn't going to even audition for Starlight. I, I, cause I, you know, I, I sort of think outside my door saying wanted very young people who can roller skate. And I was like, damn, I ain't very young and I don't know if I can roller skate. So I wasn't even going to go. One of my students, Richard, Richard Welford, he was my first student. He came in, he went to, he went to the audition. He said, Mr. Shell, you're always telling us to do, you know, audition for things. Why don't you go? So, I went home and I talked to my wife and she said, well, go on. I had a pair of skates that I had from an EMI promotion when I was signed to them. So I went to the audition. I could, I didn't, you know, I couldn't even stop. So I, I went to there and sort of handed the, you know, skated to the piano and handed my music and just skated around and around them. And, and Trevor Nunn said, ooh, theater in the round. So I think I gave him again, I think I gave him that idea for the, the theater anyway. And I had four auditions. And uh, I remember thinking when I read that poster, I was saying like, because my whole point of going to London because I wanted to be in an Andrew Lloyd Webber production. I, you know, I, I had missed out on, on Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, I hadn't done it yet. I did do it after Starlight, but I had missed out on that on the States because I was over here. And uh, I could, I, I auditioned for Cats, but you have to dance to be in Cats. And they had, they had uh, groups AAA to GGG. That was the dancing. I was in group FGG. In fact, I remember um, that, that meant I was horrible. I, mean, I remember speaking to the late Miss Jillian Lynn, who's an amazing choreographer. I said, look, don't you have any parts for crippled cats? Can I just sit on a stoop? And, and the thing about this, they took that idea and they, they gave it to fucking, excuse my French, Deuteronomy, because he don't dance. He just sits up there and, uh, and I could have played. 
<laughs> Brian oh. Blessed, you owe me. You owe me, Brian Blessed. So, I mean, the thing is, I was saying, can't this man write a musical where we can just stand around and sing this thing? They have to go on freaking roller skates. So after my fourth edition, they um, put their arms around me. I said, fuck, they're going to tell me no nicely. And they gave me the, the leading role and it changed my life. Um, uh, they, they made it easy for me. I had about a, a dozen skating teachers. In fact, I'll confess something. I didn't ever even run the, I never won the race. I had a double. I would go up, in the, I would go up in the, in the, the bridge and uh, start the race and then duck down. And then my, one of the Rockies would take over for me and do the, all the stuff. And then at the end, I, he would go, I would go down and, and hide in the tunnel Russ, the, 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 the Rocky, the cover would run, would come into the tunnel and I would skid out going, ah, ah, I must find Pearl, ah, I must find, you know. So <laughs> obviously they took all that stuff out when I left. <laughs> they would, Lloyd Webber was very, very nice to me. I, I mean, I really, really would like to work with Andrew again. I don't know in what, but I would, I really would like to. I think he, I was listening to, I was listening to Sunset Boulevard last night with um, Betty Buckley who is incredible. Betty Buckley sings Lloyd Webber better than anybody. And I love Patti LuPone and I love, uh, what's her name, uh, Elaine Page. But Pat, Betty Buckley, baby, check out Betty Buckley. She's the one. Check her out. I like to lie to myself and say that Andrew Lloyd Webber is a fan of this show, but I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> what was your audition for the Apple like, though? Bringing it back to this... Well, the thing about this, the Apple, like I said, I had, the, he didn't, they didn't want to see me. They, he did not want to see, when he found out that I could not dance, go home, go home, oh, right, right. go home, because they weren't looking for singers, you know, because filmed, in, they weren't looking for singers, really, you know, if you could sing, eh. but when he heard me sing, when I read the part, he was like, yeah, plus, I think what got it for me was I was American. And this Vladek, Vladek was uh, playing Mr. Mr. Because Vladek is, I can't remember where, I think Vladek once told me he was from Transylvania, but I never believed him. But because um, he had that whole kind of uh, Dr Dracula kind of esque, you know, and he's a famous, famous actor. And uh, I tend to think the pairing of Vladek, Vladek with, his, with his mid European, Eastern European accent and persona with this American kid was a great combination. We were a great team. Vladek was amazing. He was really, and sadly he passed away and so did um, uh, um, my mind, uh, Mr. Tops. Uh, wonderful oh, actor. Joss Ackland. Oh. So like my, so my audition, like I said, I had, to, I had to force this guy to let me sing and I didn't. You know, singing is sort of like my passport through all this, this whole, this whole, what do you call it? Um, entertainment journey. In fact, I didn't go to. I didn't even go to school to be um, a musical theater. I went to school to be a straight actor. I was going to be the, the first black man to play Lear and all these other kind of things. That's what I wanted to do. But then I got a family and found out that stage actors, actors, musical theater people make more money <laughs> than straight actors. And I had a family to take care of, so I just kept doing the musicals. Wow! Did you keep anything from the movie? Like the grills or anything? I had, there were, there was two, there was a pair of shoes that I kept. I wish I had kept all that stuff, baby. That I had, I looked at that, but I had some wicked costumes, but I wasn't even, you know, at the time I wasn't even thinking about that, you know, because um, uh, you, you know, they give you the costume and you take it off. 
you know, but I had some wicked stuff, wicked, wicked stuff clothes. Yes, that's a that's a word to describe it. <laughs> Watching it, I would you know, you kind of follow along, whatever, you follow the story. Then you get to coming or whatever the name of that song is. I hope yes. that's is that set at a gay bar? Like what's I know it's supposed to be <laughs> Mr. Coming Boogaloo's like how? It's a what? It, it was supposed it was at his penthouse. It was a penthouse, but like those were drag queens at the beginning of the scene, right? <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. Well the thing is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean like Boogaloo was is supposed to be an, an equal opportunity sexual operator, if that can put it that way. And uh and what it and what it's supposed to just underline was just the bohemian element of what that life is and what show business is, which is almost like very, very true. Um, show business is very, very bohemian. I mean, um, I'm old as the hills. And so I remember like when I first joined Hair way back then with, when I was with Meatloaf and Donna Summer's sisters, I remember I would go to the orgies, but I would sit on the top of a desk and braid my hair because I had hair back then and watch these people do the most outrageous stuff because I was a church boy. I said, ah, I ain't. <laughs> no, no, no. I will sit here and watch you. Has to join, but I will watch you engage. But I mean that that so what 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 um, Menahem wanted in that uh, in that sequence in the coming sequence was basically just to underline the bohemian nature of what show business is and how he's taking this innocent girl BB and placed her in that same situation. Because that's that's weird that he did that with the music industry, but not with the old hippies. I'm sorry, not with the what? The old hippies at the end of the movie. Well, the thing about it is, the old, the old hippies, the old hippies were supposed to represent the the purity and the essence of love, basically, the love children. And the thing about it is, by this time, if if you if 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 you're looking at the hippies being something, a throwback to the '60s, and this was like all this time later, they're they're like they're well passe. They're well past say. And what these people, what they represented, that's why they lived underneath in that cave. That's why they did not live above ground, basically. The only time that they, they lived in the park and in their cave because they didn't want to be contaminated by the new, uh, the, the, the new Reich that was happening in the world at the time. You know, um, they didn't want to be a part of the BIM. They didn't want to take the mark of the beast, you know, basically. You know, sometimes I look at that thing and was like, right, <laughs> you know. Right, <laughs> choices were made. <laughs> yeah, and especially you know, so so it's 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 when you actually how can I put it? You understand the apple more if you understand the context of where Menahem was going from. Menahem was a very very uh, uh, how can I put this? He was he was he wasn't a Hasidic Jew at all, but he was very very Jewish. He was very very Jewish in terms of his. In terms of, in terms of, I can't say morality because I can't, I won't go into that. But in terms of what he would like the world to be a part of, and what he was trying to get back to is a warning. <clears throat> the apple was a parable. If we don't do these things, this is what's going to happen to the world, and they're going to use entertainment to actually do that. And it's happening now. I mean, I don't know if you saw um, Little Nas's last video. Oh yeah, Little Nas X. Did you see that? Oh. Uh... Oh, I want to get a stripper pole so bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? I saw that and like I was like, oh my God. <clears throat> I said, this child is actually gone there. 
to the devil. I mean, he, you know, <clears throat> and my daughter's saying, oh, dad, you're being such an old fuddy-fuddy, but it's just a, it's just a, a video. But I do believe that um, with all these things, um, just like the, 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 the science fiction movies that are preparing us for the imminent announcement that aliens are among us and have been among us for thousands and thousands of years, I think that they use the entertainment industry and they use movies and things like that to prepare the minds of the world to accept certain realities that uh, we probably would not care to, to accept if, they, if those movies and things had not prepared our minds for it. So I think in a lot of ways, the Apple was ahead of its time. And I think the people who are, uh, how can I put it, religious, who probably wouldn't go see the movie anyway, would get more out of it because they would understand the scriptural, um, uh, uh, the scriptural references that, that, the, that, the, that the movie is based on. That's interesting that you brought up Little Nas X. I feel like he watched the Apple and was influenced, <laughs> but then added a stripper pole. <laughs> oh. we, could, we could say that about anyone these days you were influenced by the apple <laughs> what is, i mean obviously the biblical references were other metaphors like layered with other yes things because you have like the utopian or dystopian society that's going on and um you even you, you put it perfectly where you call it like the third reich where yeah, it's like yes, this is. Oh, okay. So you also mentioned like aliens and stuff. Is this supposed to be set on Earth? Like, let's be real here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, it's set on Earth. The um, the hallucinatory um, aspects of it were basically references, like I said, to the Adam and Eve situation. It is on Earth. And it is in, in, in that 1984. They probably should have made it 2000 or something. But it is, it is, it, it was meant to be on Earth. And it was basically to show the, the, the evolvement of the entertainment industry, where the entertainment industry can become a world power. And I think, I do believe that that's going to happen because right now it's like politics is, is, has become entertainment. It's not about government. It's not about governing. I don't watch CNN. Since I'm thinking about this, only reason why I miss Trump, because every day, every day Trump was a president, it was like, oh, child, what's he going to do now? What kind of shit is he going to bullshit? Gonna I don't even listen to Biden. I love Biden. I'm glad to know that he's there and he's <laughs> and that, you know, but I said this he's before, not- people got very upset for me. Biden is, is kind of boring, but he's, he's doing, but presidents should be boring. They should be steady and steadfast, but Trump was a show. It was the Trump show, baby. And um, <laughs> so for that, so for, the, for those reasons alone, um, I think the Apple was ahead of its time in showing what entertainment can do and how entertainment can influence everything. And when you get right down to it, the, the, the liberal entertainment industry, which is really, really weird. It's, you know, Hollywood is in California, which is a red state, but it's peopled by, by liberal right wingers. Mm. Very strange. The only reason why I ask if it's that on Earth because at the end, when Mr. Tops basically has the rapture with the hippies, he says that they're gonna he's gonna take them to another planet. Mm. So I didn't know if like Mr. Boogaloo or Bo- or no, not Mr. Just Boogaloo, Boogaloo, Boogaloo. Mm. If he's on Earth or if he's on an Earth-like well, planet. <clears throat> yeah, I mean the prophecy says that. When the rapture happens, the saints would be coming back to the earth. Right. But because evil and Satan and all those people will be destroyed, it will be a, 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 a rebirth 
of what the earth was meant to be in the very, very beginning. So, I mean, Menachem and Top said he's going to take them to another planet. You know, he, 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 that, that, that's my idea of leaving the United States and going a satellite in an island. But in actuality, what, the, what judgment is, is, is this new, a new heaven, a new earth coming out of the heavens to, to, to coalesce with this one and make this one better. Mm, okay. I and it's interesting. Much into it. I'm sorry, go ahead. I may have read too much science fiction into it. <laughs> <laughs> I only know this because uh, my dad was a Pentecostal minister and I was a Sunday school teacher. And so I had to read all that stuff. And Revelation just reads like, um, uh, 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 you know, an acid trip. It may, I mean, it's, it's the greatest acid trip in the world is stuff that that man saw. John on the Isle of Patmos. <laughs> He must have been smoking some weed. <laughs> have you read the Reich's like original script to this? Because I I read somewhere that it was supposed to be like a three act Hebrew stage musical. Like, does that I heard about that? I, does I that heard still about. Exist? That. Yeah, it started off as I think it was would have been a stage musical, and um, it's weird because when I saw the name George, George Clinton, I thought they were talking about the Parliament Funkadelic. George Clinton. I was very, very kind of disappointed, but it wasn't. Iris and Kobe Reich, uh, they, and I remember watching them, we were talking earlier about how scripts change, and I could see them getting increasingly frustrated um, because the script was changed before their eyes, and and they wrote it as, they wrote it as almost like their, their own version of a uh, uh, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. This was supposed to have been a, a stage play like that was. And but what, what it became is a movie. In fact, Kobe and Iris are both featured in the very, very first number, uh, the BIM, the big, big BIM number. They play Jean-Louis and Dominique. Yeah, yeah. And Lovely jo- people. And Joe Lovely. S. Clinton is Joe Pittman, or George S. Clinton yeah. is Joe Pittman. Yeah. Which goes to prove like your theory, of, well, not your theory, what you said about how this is this was a prophecy for like the last four years yeah. where they took over Joe Pittman, just like how the, the last president took over some news media sources. Yeah. Well, gov- I mean, government Yay. and government is nowadays government is show business. I mean, I look at this way. Ronald Reagan can be president. That showed me back then that it ain't got nothing to do about whatever, you know, they, all the president is, is a figurehead. And what uh, I call them Trump flakes, what Trump flakes wanted to do was to take, Trump flakes was nobody's dummy. Trump flakes was his own man, you know what I'm saying? And what he wanted to do is basically, uh, he wanted to be Putin, Putin, however you say that, man, he wanted to be Putin. That's why he, 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 he loved the strong men. I, I believe that what we've gone through, what we're still going through in this struggle for American democracy is there's something that's happening above this whole layer of everything. I know I'm veering a little bit, but it's part of, part of what the Apple was saying as well. The, the American democracy is showing us that, how can I put it? We are like sheep. We are led by the, peop- the person that has the loudest voice. Most people cannot think for themselves, won't think for themselves. Well, if, you, you, if, somebody, if the right person tells them that the sky is green, they will believe it. And that's why, you know, it, it, it's really, really sad. They, you know, so it, it's not about having your own mind and understanding. 
I, I wrote in, in ICE that the American, Americans, we are fed too much Disney. We're fed too much Disney and not enough reality. And um, the queen said something when, uh, that a lot of people missed when Diana died. She said, there are powers, that, there, there are powers above that we know not of. And that's the friggin' queen of, the, of England, you know, basically saying that she doesn't even have the control that people think she has. And I, I, you know, I, I do believe what, what the deal is. It's like we're, we're sitting here fighting about Republicans and Democrats and white and black and Black Lives Matter and all those other kind of stuff. When, 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 the, when the fight really is about those, the 1% that owns fucking everything. How is it that 98% of us have less power than that 1%? And I think that's what the Apple was saying as well. That 1% that owns fucking everything. And I was just really saying to myself, like, okay, if we all decided three times a week all over the world, we ain't buying shit. We ain't buying all that stuff. Just three times a week, we, would, we could flex our economic money muscles and show the one percenters, look, this is what we want. You want us to go and, and buy Amazon again? Give us this. We don't even think about that because, of it. oh, they're trying to, they're just theory that they're trying to depopulate the world and get rid of, uh-uh. They're going to get rid of people who are not. That's another thing Apple was saying. They're going to get rid of people of who are not contributing to the bottom line. If you're sucking up money and if we have to take care of you, they take, they're getting rid of you. So I'm telling people out there, get off the dole, get off welfare, contribute, because they're coming for you. They're coming for you because they're not going to get rid of the people who are actually putting money in their pockets. And this whole game is about M-O-N-E-Y. That's what this whole thing is about, money. And who, Apple was alluding to that as well. Who knew this movie was that deep? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, it, 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 no, you wouldn't because it, it, you wouldn't. It, it, it's just on the surface. It's pure entertainment. But if you just look close, sir. Right. If you actually at, like paid attention to uh, like brushed away the craziness that is what's yeah. happening on, on screen and listen to what's being said. You know, it, yes, I, I agree with you. Like, there's more layers to this onion than yeah. than one would think. But on a lighter note, do you have any fun stories from <laughs> filming it? Do you, like, do you yes. have <laughs> that you can say? <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought I was going to die on that shoot. What? Because... Be- yeah, because the, it's almost... I don't know if you heard the story about uh, the Tin Man and his makeup in the wizard of oz. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, the, the first the, the first with uh, the first 10 man they had to fire because the paint and stuff that they actually put on his body gave him a reaction. Same thing happened with me. That I was so glad that they cut that I didn't have to film that uh, slip and slide anymore because all that snake makeup that stuff it's hard to see it but it went all the way from my neck all the way down to my legs. It took like 5 hours to put that thing on. Do you know what I mean? And what happened is underneath the lights it it reacted, I, it reacted, and it, it wasn't funny, but it, it felt like I was burning up. So so that, they had to grab me out of makeup, put me in a shower, and like hose me down. And it wasn't funny, but it was funny later on. But it but it was like uh, just just showed you what the kinds of dangers that there are in making these kind of things. As far as let's say funny funny ha ha things that happen, not a lot. 
because um, one thing that not one thing we were on this really 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 tight schedule in terms of actually getting a thing done and, and Menahem, Menahem would, like some of these some of these directors would shoot you know make you shoot things 30 and 40 times before he'd had it Menahem as soon as he had it boom they used to call me one take one take shake because I would just nail it so I mean like uh it, it was, for me, the funniest thing that happened the entire time was that I was in Germany. I couldn't speak German, didn't understand German. And it was wonderful because I didn't have to listen to the news. I didn't have to read newspapers for three months. I didn't have to do anything. But the food was amazing. Oh, this was this what happened. I uh, ordered something because I, I said, I just pointed. I, I'll have that. And they brought me back this dish. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And they said, it's what you ordered. What you ordered. And I, to this day, I still don't know what this thing, I wouldn't eat it. So it, it was, the funny thing was just the, the lost in translation kinds of bits and pieces that happened while, while being in Germany. And the thing is, I don't know, it might say something about me, but it didn't bother me that I didn't understand what the fuck was going on because we, in the West, we're, we're inundated with so much news and so much stuff that you have to take in. And so I could turn the television on and not worry about the sound being down because I didn't know what they were saying anyway. No idea. You know, no idea what the newspapers, they could have been, it could have been World War Three. I would never have known because I, <laughs> so, and back, and back in those days, they didn't have, what's this new uh, language thing that you can, Babel, I think it is. Oh, there was yeah. no Babel. Did Benahem, like, separate you guys, uh, the cast? I know, every, like, there's some stories of, like, when they filmed West Side Story, they would have them the sharks and jets separate and everything. No, like no, Menahem was not that kind of director because Menahem basically is a film director. Jerome Robbins was a stage director and he needed all that kind of drama to actually build that kind of tension on stage. Well, Menahem would just move that camera, move it out the way, you know, <laughs> get your, you know? So no, it was very, very diverse, which I really, really, really applaud him for in 1980 for it to be as diverse as it was. And I think that had a lot to do with the film not being well received because that film had more black people. Ain't no black people in Greece. Ain't no black people in Greece too. Think about right. all those musicals that happened back then. You see, I ain't seen no black people in those movies. And we had heaps of them, you know what I'm saying? And I, I, and I, and, and I, I, I think that that went slightly against the grain you, you, you wouldn't think that, that that would have anything to do it do with it, but this all this diversity that we're seeing in films really now really is is, is solely is solely responsible for I, I probably I probably call him an unsung hero, and that's Spike Lee. Spike Lee ushered in the renaissance of black cinema, and when he proved to the world that white people all over the world will come and watch black people in movies. That's done something, and 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 it's done. It's it, it. I'd say another element that happened is basically recently with George Floyd. Do you know what I mean? That movement went worldwide, yeah. all over the globe. So people are trying to, you know, are trying to catch up. I mean, the Golden Globes may not be anymore. How can you have a system at the Golden Globes where there's not one black person that votes for it? I'm surprised Andrew Day even won. Or any black people that ever won a Golden Globe got them because they they don't have no black people voting in it. So I mean, it, it's like <sighs> I'm on the IMDb page for the Apple, and Grace Kennedy, who played Pandy, Pandy, yeah. Don't get me started on those names. Uh, <laughs> she's yeah. the she's the third build. Yeah, and that's un that I, 
that was unheard of back then. Yeah. You're seven build. You know, me in underwear. I should have stuffed it a little bit. Me. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, you know, carry on like that. A black woman in bed with a white boy, English white boy, rolling around carrying on to Donna Summer's yeah. songs. You know what I mean? That was unheard of. Unheard of. So I think it's it's really weird because I was talking with um uh BB, I was talking to Mary, and she she said that because she was there um at Cannes when the show, when the movie opened, and that people threw things at the screen and that they had to almost keep Menahem from jumping out the window. I mean, he was that distraught because he really, really thought that the apple was going to be his foray into American cinema. He would he had been thought of before that point is, is just that uh, what was that film he made lollipop something or other uh, I can't think of the name of it he was known for that and then he went into the whole die hard thing but the apple was his going to be his signature into the American market and they threw things they booed and th- threw all kinds of stuff at the screen at and cans nearly destroyed him I don't see a lollipop or anything on his lemon pops I can't think of one of his it, one of his first films. You got you got them in front of you. I do. Read a, read a couple of them to me. El Dorado, Eight in the Footstep of One, Dahlia and the Sailors, Trunk to Cairo, Seduced in Sodom, Nine Nine Nine, Aliza Aliza, The Policeman, Tevia and His Seven Daughters, What's Good for the Goose, Margot no. Shelley, Lupo. Attack at Dawn, The Highway Queen. He did Uh, a lot of films, mate. Yes. He's had a career from 1963 to 2008. But are you you talking about like one that he wrote or one that he directed? I think they wrote and directed. I cannot remember the name of it, but it it, it it was probably one of the most, it was like his most famous one until he started the whole Die Hard series in there. I cannot think of the name of it, but um, I, I'll probably come across it and, and uh, send you an email with the name of it. Okay. He was part of the Die Hard series? Yeah. Menahem. Menahem Golan. Yeah. I think it was, yeah, I think it was, it was one of those kinds of franchises that he started. I think the very first one. Enter the Ninja? No, that wasn't. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Enter <Okay>. the Ninja. <laughs> He's he's done some movies, I gotta say. Yeah. Is there any other stories or that you that you remember or you want to say? Well, I just I, I think the biggest thing that I that I take away from this from that film was basically understanding the difficulty of I understand now why Hollywood stars break up and divorce and it's it's just very difficult having a family and trying to be part of a family under those kinds of working conditions. And when I say working conditions, having to be at the studio four or five o'clock in the morning, coming home after a shoot at six or seven o'clock in the evening, and just wanting to go to sleep. And my ex-wife, Sharita Thomas, she's now Sharita Jones, she worked in the makeup department. So a lot of the, all that stuff that she had to do, you know, sometimes we never even saw, saw, saw um, each other. And the reason why she went home is because we almost lost our, my daughter because uh, somebody had given us a cot to keep my baby inside my dressing room. And, and remember those back in the time, they, they, they had these cots that had these hard, flat uh, pillows with no give. And we were inside the, uh, my hotel uh, and uh, 
Sharita noticed that my baby wasn't breathing because she had, you know, wrinkled herself into a position where she was face down and she had to take her out and get some air into her. And I would just, I cringe even now to think that we would have left her in my dressing room for hours and we would have come back, my baby would have been dead. So it's, it's like, it's, it is, it, it, those movies are, it's dangerous. Or, and I think life is dangerous, but it just showed me back then what a glimpse into what my life would have been like had I, you know, become De- Denzel Washington, you know, um, you're, because wait, it, wait, you said your wife worked on the movie with you? Yeah, she was, she was a makeup artist. That's, I mean, that's great that like, you didn't have to go to Germany yourself or anything that you had your wife there. Present. Yeah, well, she was, all, she was always going to go with me because like, like I said, you know, um, it, it was an adventure. We came over together. She was my stage manager in the, in the, in the musical that brought me to, to London. So when I got the film, we had just gotten married and we just had this baby. You know, part of the reason why we got married because I promised my mother wasn't going to have no illegitimate children. You know, she went with me to Berlin and they found out that she did makeup and could do makeup and they hired her. So we had two salaries, more money. Wow. Talking with you today, that brings, it brings like a different like appreciation to this movie, especially if it's, you know, the fact that you all got along yeah in terms of a cast Manhattan was on his own planet it seems like trying to like finish this master opus but at least you know you had you they personally took, they had took care of us i mean Manahan took you know i had a great time with Manahan. he taught me things he paid me on time i remember the girl Ooh. i remember the woman that had the money this big old trunk of cash just Trunk. <laughs> Seriously, the food was good. They spent money on that film. He really, really, really. That's why when it did not work back then, he'd be. I think he'd be chuffed now to see the reaction of people. There's a generation of young people who are. I'm not going to say they're getting the movie, but they're they're appreciating it in a way that the that the industry did not appreciate it when it first came out. Yeah, that- you know, they were they were horrified. And I think the horrification had less to do with the actual movie itself than it had to do with, with uh, the diverse elements in the movie and the story it was trying to tell well, that, at that, that time. That other podcast that I was telling you about, the How Did This Get Made, they recorded yeah. that live years ago and they had people come dressed up with BIM marks and everything. Yeah. So... It's got, it, it, it unfortunately took a while, but it reached a cult status, it seems like. Well, these things do take time. People don't, won't believe it, but um, uh, The Wizard of Oz was not a big hit when it first came out. It lost oh, money. Oh, no. Yeah. And it wasn't until yeah. that it replayed on television. On television. Yeah. The same with um, Streisand's version of A Star is Born. That wasn't that well received. People forget that. You know, television actually help these things come around. And, and I tend to think that we'll probably be seeing more of, of the Apple on television in, you know, in, in yes. years to come. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's get into a section I like to call Sharp and Flat, shall we? Sharp, flat. In this section, we're gonna highlight moments. Did you like recently rewatch this movie? I watched it again. I watched it a couple of months ago, yeah. Okay. So we're going to highlight some moments. If we liked it, it's sharp. And if we didn't like it, obviously you have a different attachment than I do to this. <laughs> you were like, I was there. So, and if we didn't like it, it's flat. 
cool. do you have any sharp moments from the movie or from filming or I mean obviously like what you said with all this with Manahan treating you guys like a family is seems like a sharp moment but like do you have any that stick out for me the whole the whole experience was sharp the flat the the, the only flat moment for me was not being able to show my dancing prowess in <laughs> slip and slide for me that and not taking those costumes home yeah yeah you needed that grill it's it seems like and, it was it was something that slipped over your teeth. Yeah, it's like it's like the grills that these kids have now. It slipped. They 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 took an impression of my teeth, and they made it so that it could fit right over my right right. In fact, one time I almost forgot it. We had to reshoot something because I had forgot to put them on. And David said, "Ray, David was so cool. Ray, you don't have your diamonds in your teeth." I'm going diamonds. Oh shit! So I had to go back and put the thing on. You know, sweater sheet. Manahan was not pleased. Oh, <laughs> you know. Shit. Well, for for me, the sharps that I had was the choreography. Like you said, the Nigel doesn't talk about this. The the choreography was like one of the best. Parts I know. Of the movie. I know. It, but it, it's like so many people put credence, or they're only happy when other people applaud them for things. And I've learned very early in this career that you can't go by that barometer. If you you have to believe in yourself, in your work, in what you're doing, because people will tell you all kinds of stuff for all different kinds of reasons. Basically, people are not going to tell you unless they have to how great you are, so you can take their job. They're not going to do that. You know what I mean? And 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 I think that um, I think that that Cannes experience, which was definitely a flat, definitely a flat, because I'm sure Nigel was there. I know Nigel was there as well. you're sitting there. I would have loved to have been there because I would have laughed. But if you're sitting up there and you're going like, okay, okay. Because N- Nigel did say he thought that he would be, he would get an Oscar for his choreography. And the thing about it, he, he really did, he really thought he, he nominated. He should have. Uh, yeah, I, I think he should have. But the fact that, that, that they got such a resounding negative reaction from uh, Cannes colored it for him. And, it, you know, and he believed that when he, when he shouldn't have. Uh, speaking of choreography... There is in the BIM hour, you know, they sh- there's like that whole montage of like people doing the <laughs> choreography. One of my sharps is the hospital patient <laughs> bed and who dies. <laughs> yes, I was just like, this is. I, I don't care what happens the rest of the movie. I'm so happy that I got a, a hospital <laughs> patient. Yeah, I mean, it's like he. Menahem had a, it had an intense sense of humor, and that sense of humor was uh, filtered into uh, 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 what's his name, like choreographer, uh, Ni- Nigel. Nigel. Nigel's choreography. Do you know what I mean? It, it, that sense of humor was, you know, it, it, it's very tongue in cheek and very, very out. You know, it was, it was, cor- it was filtered into that. And uh, the Bimau was like. It was like just fierce. The firefighters letting the buildings burn out when they did the BIM. Everything's stopping so they can do the BIM. You, you know, the, the nuns flying across the stage doing jetés to the BIM. The nuns. The nu- that was wild. <laughs> They're like silver lame wimples yes. or whatever. Oh my God. Uh, for me, though, I wrote down that a flat was like BIM is never really clarified, I feel like. 
because you know they the first song is bim and they're there's like three lyrics that go along with it like, <laughs> bim is bim and you're like okay but like what is bim um and all that stood for all the bim stood for was boogaloo international music yeah yeah that's all i needed and that's all they had to say you know just say bim is boogaloo international music done one line yeah uh, coulda, shoulda, woulda at this point, though. And then there are moments where it's slow, like real slow. Mm. Uh, I want to say it's probably when Miriam Margulis is on screen, unfortunately. Like, love her, but those scenes are very slow. Well, the thing is, I, I, it's like, I love Miriam. And when, one of the things that, that flat for me is I didn't get a chance to work with her because she was amazing. I think that and no disrespect to George, George wasn't, George was hired because he sang, he could sing his ass off and he looked good, but he was not an actor. And he didn't really, how can I say this? He didn't give her a lot to bounce off of it. I, I'll put it that way. Got it. You know there, was, I mean? there was no reacting. It was. Yeah. Just... Yeah. And I, and I think that what got in the way with George as well was his accent. I tend to think that if they had hired an American, here I go again, an American uh, Alfie, uh, it might it, it might have been, and I think that I think that too was was in it was was something that that, that Cannes and, and the United States sort of like reacted against as well. Well, they and they shouldn't have because the Apple was a very very international company, very very international company. Do you know what I mean? Uh, in fact, some of the kids, a few of the kids that were in the the, the dancers, they went on to star in the original company of, of Cats. Uh, uh, Finola Hughes uh, was the Victoria the White Cat. Femi Taylor, one of the black girls, went, was was the black cat in Cats. So what wow. they had, they had an international. They had some of the, they had the cream of the dance world in, on that in that film, you know. And all those kinds of things was recognized. And I think that that's what sort of uh, ruined it for um, for uh, what's his name? Nigel? What's his name? Nigel. Nigel. I can't remember that man's name. <laughs> what can't remember his name? It's Nigel Lithgow. 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 Nigel. Him. It's, it's, so, I mean, it's like the it John a, for American names. You know, everyone's named Nigel in England. <laughs> so, I think that those, those scenes, that, that, those scenes, the scenes that, that Alfie had with um, Miriam didn't work because, of, and the other thing too, Menahem was a very technical director. He wasn't what I would call uh, uh, an actor's director. Like, um, uh, Lee Daniels is an actor's director. Um, he leaves all the technical stuff to other people. You know, uh, you know. He tells them his vision, and they get it. But Menahem was very te- about the technical. Him and David would have converse for like we'd sit there waiting for them to get ready because they'd be talking about, well, how are we going to get this crane over here? So it's for, if you didn't, if you didn't have to do it acting wise, he wasn't going to help you. You know, and I think that be, uh, George suffered a, a bit because of that, because if you look at those films, a lot of the push, a lot of those, a lot of those scenes with Miriam, a lot of the push is coming from her. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? And, 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 and you clearly see you know, that. You know, and, and, and for those things to work, it has to be reactive. And I think because we were actually, like most films, shooting out of sequence, I think that uh, Georgie had a, had a little bit of difficulty just finding out in his own head you know, where he was at that time, what he should have been feeling and everything like that. And, uh, and if you look if you look back at it, look at George's eyes, a lot of times he, he was like, what am I doing? Why am I, what, what 
what's happening here? No disrespect, Georgie. Love you. Would you add any of the songs from the movie to your life's playlist? Depending on the state of mind I was in and depending on, you know, what time of the evening it was. I think my favorite song out of, because I, I found, honestly, when I first heard the soundtrack, I felt that it was very derivative of, deriv derivative of everything that was happening musically at that time. So, and I'm very, very much attracted to original new stuff, just new stuff. Like for me, Coming was, was like sub, Diana, sub Donna Summer. I, I did have fun with a song called Master. I like Master because Master was like sort of reggae. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and, and again, I think too, there's a lot of elements. The, 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 the music was, was derivative and, 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 and in the sense that since it was a European composer trying to do American music, I think that that, I think that, that sort of might had something to do with the way it was received as well. Um, Cry For Me, all those songs, uh, I, I hear them in my head, but I, I, I tend to think that if they had hired the real George Clinton, um, that we would have had a different soundtrack. We would have had a different soundtrack. I mean, and, 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 and the thing about it, the BIM, the BIM number, uh, like I love Speed. Speed is great. But again, it's very derivative. Come on, Speed is a bop. I loved it. It comes on screen. You're like, yeah, yes. <laughs> Where did this come from? Yeah. I love the place where we shot it, the Metropole. The Metropole in, um, in Berlin was like amazing. And uh, they had a place down the road from, from, from the Metropole. Our, we stayed at the place called the Hotel Amzol in the Kafusterdam. And there was a place down the road, which is called the High Fly Cafe that I, had, I hadn't been to Amsterdam before this place, before at this time. But the High Fly Cafe, was just what it said. You could play chess, you could play, it stayed open all night long and you could get the most amazing medicinals there. Incredible. So on my days off when I didn't have to be at the studio at five o'clock in the morning, the night before I'd be there playing backgammon and flying. Well, Ray, we've come to the end of the episode with that. <laughs> uh, is there anything you want to plug, promote, any, what have yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd say to everybody that's listening, keep your eyes out for open for uh, my new novel. It's called Carolina Red, and you can get it at Barnes and Nobles. It's an e-version right now. The, the hard copy will be coming out in the fall. Carolina Red, uh, get that. That's going, that's, we're, we're, that's going out right now um, to the Netflix peoples and the, the you know, uh, Prime videos. It, we're looking for a, uh, what do you call it? A streaming company to actually make a television series out of it. But the book is out there right now. And the book asked the question, if God wrote a history of the United States of America, what would it say about us? Oh, and it's, uh, it's, getting, it's getting really interesting reviews and stuff like that. And uh, much, much I like the start. apple with religious <laughs> metaphors. <laughs> um, no, not the, it, it's, it, let's put it, it's the only, the only uh, link between that and the apple, because we were, I was in the apple and I wrote it. That's the only <laughs> thing. It's more, it's more about, it's more about the history of the United States from slavery all the way up. And these two, how it affects these two families, a white family and a black family. And uh, it's almost like Romeo and Juliet, except that Juliet goes and becomes an Islamic terrorist and takes her white boyfriend into Syria with her. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was rummaging around iTunes trying to yeah. find the album of this and you can't find of the Apple, you can't find it. But if you 
put your name in there. There's this album called Starboy. Did you yeah. write a musical? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I wrote it with a young man called Chris Van Clee. Me and Chris uh, met right after I finished Starlight. We did Jesus Christ Superstar together. He was pilot and I was Judas. And Chris is an incredible songwriter. And uh, I, 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 I've been writing, like I said, all, you know, all my life. And I, I wanted to write, if, if the Jackson Five was a traveling gospel singing family, uh, what would their life be like? And I played a dad, I'm Joe Jackson of this. And, and we just got through doing a concert version of it in uh, Goldsboro, North Carolina. It went down, uh, uh, went amazing. Uh, we had an our socially distanced audience. We had a standing ovation. And right now we're about to be taking that concert on tour. And uh, again, I'm going to be looking for, a, uh, instead, of it, instead of trying to get it into theater, because I don't know when theater is going to really come back, we're trying to get a Netflix, one of those streaming platform deals for it. So Starboy, yeah. I'm surprised you saw that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I gave you some money on the iTunes. So the three cents that you're going to get in a couple of <laughs> years, that's me. <laughs> no, thank you. Is there, um, do you have like personal social media that you want to like, drop or well i'm on i'm on at rachel on twitter that's at r-a-y-s-h-e-l-l and my instagram i did i don't know why i did this because it should have been rachel on that as well but it's not it's t-a-i-p underscore l-a-b tape lab is my production company that creates that i direct my shows through and it's uh uh tape lab is on instagram and uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on all that stuff. So, okay. you know, just look out for me. If you just throw Rachel, something will come up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully all these awesome news that you have uh, coming down the pipeline. Um, and if you want to get in touch with me on my social media for the podcast, you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com. And I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at buttersongpod. Tell me what you thought about the Apple and what medicinal things you had to use to watch it. Yep. Uh, and if you want to be Jerry, part of thank you so much for, for the opportunity, you know, to, uh, oh to my walk God. down memory lane. Right. This is amazing. Like, I, I'm not going to lie. Doing, watching the Apple for this episode was the first time I watched it. But, like, even before watching it i was just like i have rachel coming on <laughs> oh my god <laughs> and he was in the movie ah! <laughs> i think i think well, like well johnny it's like 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 you say it, anything that you do like imagine in about 30 years that your podcast will become a part of you well they're already yeah. a part of you but you, it's, it's like i said we did the film I walked away and lived my life, and here I am talking about it. In fact, I must have had about five or six interviews that's just in the last few months about it. So it just shows that people take, it takes time. I, I think there, some artists never get their due until after they're dead. You know what I mean? So hopefully me and you will not have to die to get our due, but it's like you're creating your, you're creating your legacy now, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Uh, thank you, oh my God, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> <laughs> And if you want to be part of next episode's conversation, we're going to be talking about the Swan Princess. <laughs> yeah, I cover it's uh, various topics on on this. You know, go from a 
1980s movie science fiction musical movie to this the uh swan lake the animated movie and let me know when send me a link when it's on so i can actually i will um and i'm terrible at signing out i don't know do you have any ideas on how to sign out for this episode bim is the power the only power hey 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 (laughs) bim is on the way Hey, 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 Bib is on the way. (laughs) Bye, everyone. (laughs) Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.